Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet. I'm thrilled to report that we have Kristen Haney today to talk about her experience as a wealth legacy coach and consultant, which stems in part from being an unprepared inheritor after her own father's early death. So I'm going to start right in because I think it's important that we get enough time to hear her journey, in fact. So Kristen, can you share a bit with us about your early experience that probably inspired your passion for this particular work you do? Yeah, it definitely did inspire my passion for sure. In 1998, my father got a cancer diagnosis. He was at the time only 49 years old. And he was a business owner in the metro Detroit area. And I myself was only a senior in college. And so this, of course, came as a surprise to everyone. And, you know, devastating news that he was, you know, had terminal cancer and had only a few weeks left to live. So this presented a challenge given that he had had raised our family really with the same values that he was raised with, despite the fact that he had had made great financial success in business. And so I, as a college student, was, you know, obviously I knew that he had a a business. I was aware of that, of course, but I didn't realize the degree to which he had also been able to build financial success outside of the business. And so, you know, I found myself in a position because my brother was taking over the business uh, of having, you know, a similar amount of assets invested that I would become inheritor of. And I also at that time became inheritor of our family foundation. You know, I inherited directorship uh, and that that role, of course, was overwhelming as well. So in this moment, I did not know a stock from a bond. I knew really nothing about investments, finance. I was a psych major in college and I found myself across the conference room table from advisors who were looking to me to make these decisions, which I was in no position to make. And of course, that was just the technical bit of overwhelm that I had. If you can imagine looking back to, you know, as you're ready to launch out into the world to then discover that you have these financial resources that would allow you to just not launch, you know, that that, you know, there was a lot more on the non-technical side that I was, I was grappling with in, uh, you know, that kind of made all of this land just a little bit harder at that automatically confusing time in your life when you're launching out on your own to then have all of these additional challenges uh, to navigate. Yeah, I can't even imagine, Kristen, having the resources for some of my harebrained schemes in that age. (laughs) (laughs) So making those decisions in a fruitful way would require almost instant education. And in some ways, I would imagine a trusted group of people around you. Did you have that? Well, I always like to point out that this was long enough ago that there was no Google. There's no Googling anything because the internet was very early at that time. So, you know, I was left to book resources. And as you highlight the resources of trusted people. So 
I found myself um, looking for other advisors. Uh, I did not retain my family, my dad's advisors, only because, not because they were not serving me well at that time, but they didn't feel like my advisors. Uh, I needed someone, and I needed an advisor whose eyes I could look into and see that they believed that I could do this because I wasn't completely sure that I could, to be honest. And so um, I needed sort of an empowering style, um, someone who could both educate and and kind of bolster my confidence to believe that I could begin to learn all of this and, and become confident in this area. So I sought out advisors who uh, kind of had that style and were, um, I guess, patient with my constant questions. And can you explain that again, which obviously, you know, I'm very grateful for. You know, one question I have, Kristen, I I feel like, you know, I think we hear so much from next generation family members who say, you know, I'm not sure that I want to go with the same people that my parents used um, as advisors for some of the same reasons you've identified as well as I think in, you know, the the world is changing in terms of what people look for and the professionals that they're collaborating with. And I think there's, you know, there's different strategies around investing or philanthropy that some of the younger advisors and more newly educated advisors might be, you know, more open to than advisors who've been doing business a certain way for a long period of time. I think one of the questions I have is, you know, as we think about the families we serve, you know, one thing that comes up a lot is, you know, how can advisors, what can they do to really serve the needs of the families um, that they're working with more effectively across generations? Is it simply just getting younger people into their practices or is there something else that you think advisors are missing that would be helpful? I think, I think that's one approach, you know, to make sure that the advisor team sort of reflects multiple generations, I think that's a good start. But because there's not really a script, because, you know, families all are going to have different needs and goals, I think what what's really underneath of all of this is the idea of an advisor really truly getting to know their client. And really, if we can expand that to even be to know their client family, so that they are asking the right questions and taking the right perspective in saying, I want to know exactly what Mr. Jones thinks, and I want to know what the Jones family cares about as well, Mm -hmm. so that you can begin to understand, wow, do they have, you know, really a lot of goals around philanthropy, or are they very interested in impact investing, or do they have a really high interest in needs in teaching their next generation? Like for me, obviously, for, for my family, my husband and I, we have you know, a lot of interest in preparing our next generation, our kids on the technical side more effectively than I was so that they don't have to be in that position where they're kind of learning a new language. So, but whoever, whomever that family is in front of you, what do they care most about? What are their needs? Um, What are they most interested in learning about? What are the next steps for them to begin to see them as just unique families? And um, that, that takes more time. It's easier to do you know, the script style approach to serving families. But I think the direction that the industry is heading is that um, clients are seeking a more personalized level of service on the non-technical side as well. So if you can, as an advisor, begin to recognize that, okay, this approach can be really beneficial to see my, you know, my client's 25-year-old daughter as my client too, not my client's daughter, but that's my client too. You know, so how can I begin to step in and serve the whole family, understanding that that 
might require additional skills for you to learn. Um, for instance, like how do I keep confidentiality and kind of not step on toes and and not drive the situation too much as the advisor? There's there's some additional skills required in approaching things that way, but it's it's very doable. There's a lot of space for advisors to fill to serve families in that way. I'm gathering that the difference between what you just stated would be beneficial and what you actually had was that you did not know your family's advisor during the course of your growing years. Is that is that true? I mean, I can't look back and say that they should have done, done anything different. You know, certainly in that day and time, I was in high school. So I think most advisors don't look back at um, their clients' families who have children in high school and college and think, oh, it's time for me to start serving them. But in my mind, they were really like an army of <laughs> individuals <laughs> serving my dad's family. Uh, I would meet them at special events, my graduation, my high school graduation party, I remember. But I didn't really know them separate from one another. Um, I recognized them, but I didn't know who was a financial advisor and who was the accountant, you know, from the state planning attorney. I didn't know. I didn't really know them. So looking back, I don't think they did a bad job. I don't think they did a poor job serving my family necessarily. No one expected my dad to die at 50, you know. What can family members do to expand a relationship with advisors to include some of these broader needs across the generations? I mean, we can say that advisors need to offer, but what do, what do families need to be receptive to? Yeah, I think it's important to find an advisor that you can trust who's interested in having these broader conversations, or I would say invite, if this is not happening currently, invite your advisor to kind of join you in opening this conversation in your family more broadly, because this kind of is a new way to think about having a relationship with your advisors. And so if you can invite your advisor to think about preparing, you know, yes, think about preparing your assets for your family, but also to begin opening the conversation about preparing your family for your assets, to broaden the conversation in that way will allow you to, as a client, then begin to be honest with them about maybe your son has spent too much on Xbox and you're not sure how to handle that. Or, you know, you're maybe you have a granddaughter that went on a spending spree and might be dealing with, you know, some mental health or mania issues and you're not sure how to tackle that. Like these are things that traditionally, you know, we don't get into the non-technical in like our quarterly investment review meetings or our estate planning meetings with an attorney. But I think if you can open those conversations with your advisor team, they can serve you more effectively because some of the planning that they're doing, it does it does impact those situations. There definitely is crossover and, and they can provide you with the support, not that they need to be a counselor, you know, to really fix all of those things, but they might be able to help you find resources to do so. And certainly they can integrate some of the planning they're doing on your behalf and the relationship they're providing to you mindful of some of those both successes you know that you're experiencing but also some of the challenges as well and Kristen are there places that you think individuals who are listening to this podcast and thinking boy this messaging is really resonating with me are there you know people they should go to or places they should look for materials to get resources to learn sort of more about how to approach advisors and how to find one that sort of meets the characteristics that we're talking about here today? Well, I think the first place to start is is with the advisors that you currently have to begin to open a conversation with them and to invite them to have, have more of these conversations because 
think the one thing that I lost in moving away from my dad's advisors is sort of the the legacy planning piece. You know, I can't go to my advisors and say, well, what would my dad have done in this market? Like they weren't serving him, so they don't know. So I think um, that's the first important step to go to your current advisors and begin saying, what would it look like if we, um, you know, if you met my kids and, you know, went out to lunch with them and, and we thought about how you could begin serving my, you know, college age and 20 something child and develop a relationship with them. Um, so that's, I think, the honestly, the first place to start and, and to begin to explore that. But then beyond that, I think there's a lot of resources, thankfully, across the last, I would say, decade coming out. When I started exploring all of this after my dad died, there were a few resources available. And I think now there are more resources available to begin learning which advisors are oriented in this way. You know, there are professional organizations who um, gather advisors who who care about serving the, these broader needs of families. And so I think you can go to some of those organizations to begin to learn who are some of the, I don't wanna say experts because most most advisors in this space um, are very, very respectful of the idea that each family is very unique and has its own unique needs. So no one can be an expert on any individual family, but I think for them to kind of understand some of the, the family dynamics and the skills required for an advisor who would serve across generations is important. And for advisors who are interested in learning, okay, what are those skills? Um, how can I begin to learn how to serve my family, my client families across generations? The firm that I work with, uh, Legacy Capitals, has an advisor training, it's a whole family advisor courses available uh, that are self-paced where advisors can begin going, okay, let me learn these skills and, and then begin to build confidence in serving my families in this way. That's great. Do you find that advisors in general are, you know, troubled or have difficulty discussing sort of those darker shadow subjects? I think what it is, is once they get into the conversation, they realize, oh, it's fine. I think part of our training focuses on helping them to understand that you don't have to know the solution to the problem. Like if a problem emerges out of a conversation that you're happening to say it's, you know, you do discover that this client has a granddaughter who's dealing, you know, with bipolar disorder and, you know, spends frivolously in a manic episode and you don't know how to fix bipolar disorder and you don't know how to fix her spending habits in the midst of a manic episode, but you don't have to know that. I think sometimes technical advisors just because of the technical aspects of their job feel like, they need to be able to provide a solution when in fact you're very listening ear and, you know, perhaps a referral to a group like Arden Professional Group or, you know, just to have those connections where you can say, you know, first and foremost, I'm here to just listen. I'm so glad that you shared that with me because that's a lot to walk around with. So to connect with your client in that and then to just walk alongside of them in it and offer resources as you can without feeling the pressure to feel like you have to be a counselor because your clients don't even want you to be financial advisor and counselor and pastor. Like you don't even want to try to wear all of those hats, but if you can uh, just come alongside them in all of this and open the door to conversation to be invited into all of these issues, then that's where you can provide a lot of help that seems very intangible. But when you begin to care about the things that your clients care about most, that is really a strong bond between client and advisor. That's beautiful. Yeah. And Kristen, what do you say to that advisor who says, like, 
you know, this is my first time going through that process and all I can see are downsides to opening this door. You know, all I'm worried about is losing the client because I've overstepped my boundaries or saying the wrong thing about their child's special need. Um, you know, what would be your advice to that person who kind of in their head understands what you're saying and intellectually accepts it, but is nervous to actually broach something for fear it's going to jeopardize their relationship? Yeah, that's good. And it's, it's, I mean, it's something that's at the core, of course, of how you're thinking about your business, because many times it doesn't make logical sense, even from a, I don't know, like a technical side of things, the practice management side of things to say, why am I going to spend time with the the 25-year-old kid? Like, it doesn't make sense. But I would ask, what's at risk if you don't have these conversations, if you don't begin to understand more about what you know, what's keeping the client up at night, you know, what their their biggest excitement is that's going on. If you don't open the door to all of this, there's also a risk. You're just unaware of it. And so, you know, if you have, um, if, you've, if you learn that your primary client is dealing with addiction, but you were completely unaware of it, there, that's a huge risk to your business as well. You know, he could get into a drunk driving accident. You know, he could begin making um, spending choices, that would surprise you, you know, like that potentially puts your, your client at risk as well, but you were just unaware of it. But if you begin to build relationship with the client's wife or kids, you might start to learn more about what's going on. Maybe the client wouldn't tell you that, but when, when, when there's those dynamics are going on and you're unaware of them, your business is, is a great risk. And while, while there, there is no need for you to have solutions uh, to open up these conversations, um, it's, it, by opening up the conversation and learning about this, there's not a great deal of risk underneath of that. Um, I think when you can start to get yourself into risky territories, when you do feel like you need to provide solutions to these more um, non-technical family challenges that are coming up, because you know many times it's we don't know what a family needs, but to open up a conversation with them, it often leads them to the decision that they need to make. And, you know, they'll say, oh, you're right. Like, I do think I need to maybe see a counselor about this, you know, so that we can figure out how to handle this with our granddaughter or whatever. That's great. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we we often will say, I think the biggest fear for professional advisors comes from, you know, the risk of speaking up and, and what you've said is exactly what we will endorse, which is, you know, there's just as many risks with staying quiet. And I think in the same way that families can bond, even around tragic events or very difficult situations, I do think if a family feels like somebody is genuinely approaching them with their heart in the right place, trying to be helpful, not Mm -hmm. trying to, um, come in and suggest a plan of action necessarily because mm-hmm. to your point I think it's hard for people to do that who don't work professionally in the space but if they can come in with the right intentions and say you know I see some pain here and I have a couple of ideas of I, I want to make sure that this comes out and that you can find a path forward I think families see that person in a different light you know it's not just a transactional person who's there to manage their money um, but it's somebody who's integrated in their family system and maybe in a very gentle way, showing, you know, highlighting a mirror up to them around areas that they have some growth to do. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it takes that objective force to be the person to bring it up. Absolutely. And we recognize that even even what you just described is a skill that sometimes we all need to work on in developing just to be able to empathize with a person and what they're going through and be able to reassure them that, you know, while you don't have a solution, you're right there with them in it. And so, I mean, that's, 
that's how people feel supported. But even that can be a skill we find with advisors where they're wanting us to help them be able to de- to develop those empathy skills. And so that ends up being, you know, part of our training where it, it almost is like putting a magnifying glass over a standard back and forth conversation to say like, okay, when someone shares something with me that has, you know, depth or vulnerability to it, what are the options for what I could say? So we kind of like operationalize it. Like there are three different mm-hmm. ways you can respond to this. And how do you, how do you choose what words to say? Because especially for some people who are oriented to want to provide solutions, it's kind of a bit of a relearning to take a deep breath and just just be with them in it for a minute, which seems like you're doing nothing when you're doing exactly the right thing. Do you have a favorite phrase that you go to when you are stumped? I think when I'm stumped, I usually don't say anything because mm-hmm. I've learned that sometimes, and it's especially when someone has shared something that surprised me or it was very vulnerable, and oftentimes it's the moments where I don't have words, where words are not the most appropriate thing to share anyways, but just to sit with the client and what they shared and let that silence be sacred for a few seconds. And then usually by the time that sacred silence has passed, you know, it, it feels like 30 seconds, but it usually is more like two or five seconds. Honestly, sometimes it's thanks for sharing that with me because what a great deal of trust it takes and what a great sign of what a great sign that you have really developed trust in a, a solid relationship with your client that they'd be willing to share something that made you lose your words. I know for some of our families that the information that the financial advisor had about certain mental illness diagnoses like like bipolar disorder where spending might be an indicia of mania, um, the financial advisor might have been key in getting a person treatment quickly because they highlighted the symptom. And that's important because who else would notice that first? You know, whether it's your financial advisor, your accountant, it seems like sometimes there is a reluctance to to, sh- to share all of this because you don't want to rock the boat with your client, of course, and you don't want to stir up family trouble or what, what have you. But I think that they're, in a way, this would be like kind of a tough love way of, of supporting your client family to have the courage to address the situation. And of course, address how you approach addressing the situation <laughs> is really uh, predicts the outcome of, of how that will go. And I work with a lot of rising gen clients in coaching and many times they have a, an approach, I don't know, many times perceived, but sometimes there's a reality behind it, a perspective on how they are perceived by their their family's advisors that sort of makes them always feel like a, or like a chronic juvenile or they always feel like they're not you know, getting the papers in quickly enough or they're not providing the right financial detail and that they're always sort of behind the eight ball and not doing things well enough and, and that they're perceived as, as not good enough or, you know, not as good as their parents or grandparents. And so I think the approach that advisors take with rising gen family members, of course, it's a vast generalization, right? So just understanding that many times there's already a vulnerability uh, in rising gen family members, you know, that sometimes they're feeling this way a little bit with advisors. So for them to handle that sensitively and if, you know, if an ad- if this is an adult you're speaking of, of course, and you have a relationship with them, if you can try to address address this with them directly, you know, 
I think, is the opportunity to then begin to develop a relationship with them as well. Agreed. So Kristen, we'd love to end our podcast with a few items for people to consider. Is there any advice that you'd like to end the podcast with for any of our listeners? Well, one of the ideas that's been rolling around my head lately, and I always feel like, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing, you know, the books that I've written and, and the work that I'm doing with clients is always colored by not what I feel like I'm an expert in and what I have completely, you know, figured out and Eureka, but rather the thing that I myself am grappling with and trying to teach myself. And so my most recent book is a children's book called The Super Special Altogether Ordinary Day. And the theme of the book is illustrated in a quote that's at the at the front of the book. And I'll share that with you in a second. But I think if, you know, the lockdowns and the pandemic that we've all gone through has not taught us you know, how important it is to be present with the people that we care about and to, um, you know, with our family members, with our friends, honestly, even with advisors, you know, with the people that we're interacting with, to bring intentionality and to bring um, just a sense of being present in that moment is is more important than it ever has been. And so I think that that's something that the last year has certainly taught me, um, but something that I'm trying to teach myself every day with my family members too, with all the distractions that exist in life with phones and computers and every, working from home, I think is a challenge for people. So one of the things that I'm really trying to focus on as kind of a theme is captured in this quote, which goes like this. Most days are ordinary days. Most moments, ordinary moments. The secret to leaving a lasting legacy is to honor the extraordinary meaning in ordinary moments spent with the ones you love. That's beautiful. Perfect. Thank you so much, not only for talking with us today, but for leaving us with that beautiful sentiment. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our visit with Kristen Heaney as much as I did. I am fascinated by her story of resilience and how she has developed an expertise in the face of it. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.